So friends, as we near the end of the Gospel of Mark, we're getting close to the end uh, in our sermon series, but Mark has kept us wrestling with two questions. Who is Jesus, and what does it mean to walk after him? So who is Jesus? Well, before we answer that, let me give you a little background info before we dive into Mark 15. We heard back in Mark chapter 8 that Peter said, Jesus is the Messiah. Now, Messiah in Hebrew means anointed one. Now, the kings of Israel, they were anointed with oil for their office. And God's people knew that the coming Messiah was to be a descendant of David who would sit on the throne. So they expected the Messiah to be a king. So to say that someone was the Messiah, the anointed one, was to make a claim to be king of God's people. In addition to that, the kings of Israel were considered to be the ones who ruled on behalf of God. So sometimes they were referred to as the son of God. So the kings of Israel sometimes are called the son of God. Now, I want to give you a couple of verses just to help you solidify this in your mind. Look at this psalm. This is an installation of the king. It says, I have installed my king on Zion, the holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, this is God saying to the king, you are my son, today I have become your father. And Christians understand that passage also in a messianic sense. We believe that's not true about Jesus. Let me give you one more from the Gospel of John. Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Do you see how those go, to, go together? The king is the son, who's also the Messiah. And I put together this, this, this might be just a little bit basic, but I want you to understand how all these link together. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. The Messiah is the king of Israel. The king of Israel is the son of God. See how all, all these terms, they have maybe slightly different nuances, but they're all saying the same thing. So when Peter says, you are the Messiah, he's saying you are the king that we've expected. You are the king of Israel. So now maybe we understand why the disciples are so confused when Jesus says, I'm going to be king. But then he says, I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to be rejected by everybody, and I'm going to die. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, James and John, remember they ask, hey, can't we sit on your right and your left when you come into your kingdom? They meant a, a reality. They thought that he was going to be the literal king of Israel. Now, even though we know the disciples, they were confused as to the kind of king Jesus was. Mark, I believe, still wants us to see the identity of Jesus as primarily as that of a king. The king of God's people. Remember, he said... Basically, Jesus' main message is that the time has come. Repent and believe the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom has come near. So Jesus, he is the king who brings in the kingdom of God. So although that Jesus is on his way to suffer the fate of a criminal, his march to the cross, which began that Palm Sunday, it's mysteriously, it's ironically, it is tragically a march to his throne. As he marches to the cross, he's marching to his throne. So I've called this sermon the King's Parade to the Cross. 
It began when Jesus entered in Jerusalem that day on Palm Sunday. They proclaimed him as the son of David, the king who was to come. And last week, we looked at several moments when King Jesus' followers, they, they abandoned him. They stepped out of the parade and let him continue going by himself, all alone. So now, the king will ascend to his throne. He'll keep following the parade, but he'll be all by himself. And when you think of a king ascending to his throne, you might think of all that, all that pomp and circumstance, the parade and the hosannas and all of these wonderful things, the, the beautiful buildings, the palace, the crowds cheering. But this is a different kind of king. And we're going to have a different kind of sermon today. We're going to look at a few stops in the parade so that we can meditate upon the kind of king that we have. And your participation is going to be involved. You'll hear from a few different readers, and then you'll be invited to pray at different points. So I want, you to, I want us to think of this as, as us joining in this parade to the cross. We're going to go at these different stops with Jesus, and I'll be making some comments along the way. So to begin, I'd like to invite Wendy up for our first reading. We adore you, O King Jesus, and we bless you. Your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. A reading from the Gospel according to Mark chapter 14, verses 53 to 64. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they didn't find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. Yet even then, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. What's notable about Jesus in this trial is how silent he is. He knows that it is unjust what is happening. He knows that it is really set against him. But he is committed to allowing all of this to happen. 
so that the divine plan of salvation can be accomplished. He silently allows the condemnation to fall on himself. And we recall that prophecy in Isaiah 53, where it says he was oppressed and afflicted, he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. I want you to let this point sink in. The king's march to his throne is like a lamb being led to the slaughter. Let the irony of that sink in. The king's march to his throne is like a lamb being led to the slaughter. This is a different kind of king. The central moment of this trial happens when the high priest asks him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And remember our definitions? In other words, this is saying, Are you the King, the Son of God? And Jesus says, really explicitly for the first time, I am. I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. So Jesus says, essentially, yes, I'm the king. And after all is said and done, you will see me vindicated. You will see that all that I have said is true. God will vindicate me. So the high priest has all he needs to condemn him and to bring him to the Romans as someone who is claiming to be a rival king, a a real political threat to the Romans. So the king's sad march continues They condemn him as worthy of death. And then they begin to spit on him, blindfold him, strike him with their fists. Now, I don't know about you, but I was stunned after the whole uh, Chris Rock, Will Smith situation at the Oscars. I think many of you probably saw that after the fact, as I did. Um, It was shocking to see someone get hit so, like, violently out of nowhere, it seemed. Now, it's obviously not the same situation that we have with Jesus, okay? But I I, I bring this up because of how shocking that was to so many people. And I don't want you to lose sight of the fact of how shocking this should be to us. This was a real thing that happened. And Jesus has done nothing wrong. He is totally innocent in this situation. And he gets spit on, blindfolded and punched, Repeatedly, imagine seeing that happen in person or on TV. It would be shocking, would it not? And no one stepped in to stop this. No one stepped in to say, this is unjust, this is wrong, this man has done nothing wrong. This is how they treated King Jesus. But he's allowing the violence, the sin, the injustice, the brokenness of this world to come upon himself so that forgiveness, justice, and peace could flow to everybody else. So I invite us to pray to this king who does this for us. Let us pray. King Jesus, you are the victim of religious bigotry. Be with those who are persecuted by small-minded authority. You faced the condemnation of fearful hearts. Deepen the understanding of those who shut themselves off from the experience and wisdom of others. To you, Jesus, unjustly judged victim, 
be honor and glory with the Father and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Holy God, holy and strong, holy and immortal, have mercy upon us. We adore you, O King Jesus, and we bless you, because by your holy cross we have redeemed the world. A reading from the Gospel of Mark, 15, 1 through 2, and 6 through 15. Very early in the morning, the chief priests, with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin, made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Mark is not very subtle. Did you catch it? The tragic irony of this whole trial is about Jesus being the repeated title, the King of the Jews, the King of Israel. Three times, Pilate calls him the King of the Jews. It's clear that Pilate saw his innocence, and he knew that this was selfish people manipulating the political system to put Jesus to death. There is further irony in this situation when Jesus is traded for Barabbas, who is an insurrectionist. Now, this means, this means a revolutionary. This is someone who wanted to use violence to overthrow the Romans so that they could install a Jewish king over Israel. Do you see the irony in this situation? The, people, the, the insurrectionists, they wanted a king over Israel, but they wanted to establish it through violence. And they're rejecting the king that God sent. All along, Jesus has insisted that violence was not going to be the solution to the problems that they had. Love of enemy was the way of his kingdom. And ironically and tragically, the people trade their true king for someone who wants to establish the kingdom with violence. And we know that one day, 35, 30 some years after this, these events, the insurrectionists will one day revolt against Rome, but it will not lead to their freedom. Do you remember what it brings? Destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and of the people in the land, just as Jesus predicted. And Barabbas is guilty, and his vision of the kingdom, his way leads to destruction, yet he is allowed to go free. While Jesus is innocent, he is condemned to death. The innocent is substituted for the guilty. And this is true for us. Jesus in our place. 
the guilty ones, while he is condemned in our stead. And as many throughout the world suffer under the same devious rulers and systems of injustice, we need to pray to the one who can empathize with all of the brokenness in our world. Please pray with me. King Jesus, you were condemned to death for political expediency. Be with those who are imprisoned for the convenience of the powerful. You were the victim of unbridled injustice. Change the minds and the motivations of oppressors and exploiters to your way of peace. To you, Jesus, innocent though condemned, be honor and glory with the Father and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Holy God, holy and strong, holy and immortal, have mercy on us. We adore you, O King Jesus, and we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. A reading from the Gospel according to Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 20. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling to their knees, they paid homage to him. This scene is again tragically ironic. The soldiers think that they are roughing up a a would-be political revolutionary. They think this is someone who has totally failed in their desire to overthrow Rome. And so they mock him. They mockingly treat him as a king, not knowing he is actually the king of the Jews. He is actually the king of kings. They put a purple robe on him, the color of royalty. They give him not a crown of gold, but a crown of thorns. And again, they mockingly proclaim the truth, Hail, King of the Jews. The world sees Jesus' suffering and mocks it. But yet, we see his suffering and proclaim, Hail, our King. We don't mockingly fall on our knees, but in sincerity, we do. We pay homage to the one who suffered like this for us and in our place. Let us now pray to our King. King Jesus, you face the torment of barbaric punishment and mocking tongue. Be with those who cry out in physical agony and emotional distress. You endured unbearable abuse. Be with those who face torture and mockery in our world today. To you, Jesus, the King crowned with thorns, be honor and glory with the Father and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Holy God, holy and strong, holy and immortal, have mercy on us. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you. A reading from Mark 15, 20. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. Instead of 
ascending to the highest throne of political power, Jesus descends to a criminal's death, the lowest place in all of society. Have we not come a long way from the Hosannas in which we started on this parade? The parade continues not to an actual throne or to a palace, but to the place of execution. Friends, do not lose the horror of what happened to Jesus. Don't lose sight of that fact. This is waiting in line for the electric chair. This is being sent to the death camp where cold-blooded people will put him to death. This is the saddest. This is the most horrific moment in all of human history. King Jesus, our Lord, is sent to be crucified. Let's come to him boldly with prayer. Let's pray. King Jesus, you carried the cross through the rough streets of Jerusalem. Be with those who are loaded with burdens beyond their strength. You bore the weight of our sins when you carried the cross. Help us to realize the extent and the cost of your love for us. To you, Jesus, bearing a cross not your own, be honor and glory with the Father and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. Holy God, holy and strong, holy and immortal, have mercy upon us. We adore you, O King Jesus, and we bless you. Because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. A reading from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 15, verse 21. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. Mark mentions the names Alexander and Rufus like we're supposed to know who they are. He does not give us any explanation, meaning that they must have been known to the church that Mark is writing to. Who he is, the people he is writing to, they know who they are. And there is a Rufus who is greeted in the letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. So it seems that Simon the Cyrene, who's carrying the cross, and his sons become followers of King Jesus after this event. And they pass on this story to the church and to Mark and maybe Peter so that it can be written down and recorded for us. Now Simon, he must have initially thought that this was incredibly strange. He had just happened to be passing by. He was on his way somewhere else. And his life is totally disrupted. The Romans force him to help Jesus. And Simon must have thought that Jesus was just some criminal. Some random criminal condemned to die. But in retrospect, as Simon came to know who Jesus really is, I imagine this was probably the greatest honor of Simon's life. He carried King Jesus' cross. Who could say that? He was the king's servant in his greatest need and in his greatest triumph. 
And I want to remind us, too, that if Jesus needed help bearing his cross, let us pray that we, too, can receive the help we need to bear our crosses and to help others bear theirs. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you were worn down by fatigue. Be with those from whom life drains all energy. You needed the help of a passing stranger. Give us the humility to receive aid from others. To you, Jesus, weighed down with exhaustion and in need of help, be honor and glory with the Father and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Holy God, holy and strong, holy and immortal, have mercy upon us. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. A reading from the Gospel according to Mark 15, verses 22 through 32. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. The paradoxes here are substantial. Jesus is crucified between two rebels, two revolutionaries, two insurrectionists. These are more Barabbases. These are more people who wanted to put a king on the throne, and they're crucified on his right and his left. And now we remember that saying that Jesus said to James and John, Oh, you want to be on my right and my left when I come into my kingdom? The Father has prepared a place for them, and there it is. Jesus was not one of them. In his crime, the written charge against him is he is the king. The king of the Jews is his crime. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. And for those that have the eyes to see it, this is the pinnacle moment of the parade. This is the king ascending his earthly throne. The chief priests say, let this Messiah, let this king of Israel come down and, and prove that he's the king. But they don't realize that the real Messiah must die for them and the sins of the whole world. It's not his ability to come down or not that proves that Jesus is the king. It is his willingness 
to stay there. The nails do not really hold him down. It's his love for the world that keeps him on that cross. It's his love for you. He is the king who will die for us. This is his glory. This is his enthronement for those who can see it. Through his suffering, he proves his glory and that he is king. Let us now pray to him. King Jesus, you bled in pain as the nails were driven into your flesh. Transform through the mystery of your love the pain of those who suffer. To you, Jesus, our crucified Lord, be honor and glory with the Father and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. Holy God, holy and strong, holy and immortal, have mercy upon us. We adore you, O King Jesus, and we bless you, because by your holy cross A reading from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 15, verses 37 through 39. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, Surely, this man was the Son of God. This is another astounding moment. If you've been with us this whole sermon series, you'll recall that basically nobody in Mark's gospel has been able to see Jesus for who he truly is. Basically, only the demons have been able to say his true identity. Most people have him confused. They think he's crazy. They think he's uh, a revolutionary. They, they don't grasp who he is. Even Peter, who says he's the Messiah, the king, he misunderstands the meaning of that word. And this moment, finally, a human being sees Jesus for who he really is. A Roman centurion. This Roman would have been trained this soldier would have been trained to view Caesar as king, as the son of God, as they called him, as the so-called savior of the world. And this soldier, he would have had considered a kingly power to be violent and domineering, just as Rome had conquered the world. But this soldier, he sees Jesus die on that cross, and friends, his eyes are opened. To the truth. Surely this man was the Son of God. Surely this man on the cross, this is the true King of the world. Can we see it, friends? In the same way today, we proclaim Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the King, He, the one who is crucified on the cross. He is the Lord of the whole world. It might be foolishness to the world, but it is the power of God for those who believe. 
This is the gospel. This is the good news. The one on the cross is our king. So let me ask you as you think about Holy Week, what do you see when you look at Jesus on the cross? What do you see? Who do you see? May we see more and more the reality of who he is. And once we see it, once you see who he really is, will you too take up your cross and follow him? Let's pray. Oh, King Jesus, we do celebrate this morning this ironic parade to your cross. We proclaim that even though human beings meant it for your death and destruction, though Satan meant it for your death, you meant it for the salvation and redemption of the entire world. Your cross is your glory. Surely you are the King of Israel. Surely you are the Messiah. Surely you are the Son of God. We believe, O oh God. Thank you for giving your life for ours. We pray that you would give us the courage to take up our own crosses and to follow you, to walk after you, to walk with you. Help us to be like Simon the Cyrene, picking up the cross and walking with you, that we might die to ourselves so that you might live in us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, and we pray as our King taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.